Our sermon text is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, which is on page 568 of the paperback Bibles. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Good, morning. Good morning. My name is Stephen, and uh, it's great to be with you guys all again. I think uh, there are some new people in this room. You know, if you are new and you are visiting, please, uh, we want you guys to feel welcome. Uh, if you guys are exploring the faith, we hope that this is a place where you can do that and it's a safe spot for that as well. And you know, it is our vision to see people reconcile to God and to one another through the transforming power of the gospel. And so we hope that you see that here. Um, so yeah, let me uh, begin with a word of prayer, and we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would sweep through our hearts today, that you would stir within us a greater desire to fall on our knees in prayer, that you would minister to us so softly and tenderly for if, as if we were fragile, that if we're stubborn in heart and here today, that you would break through that stubbornness. God, I ask that you would set free those who feel like they are captive to sin this morning. Lord, do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. People who love the church get on their knees and pray for it. That's exactly where we find ourselves in Ephesians today. Paul is on his knees and he's praying for the church. See, like Logan, he was the founding pastor of that church and he loved those people. But he couldn't be with them. See, he was in Rome while the church was in Ephesus. He was in Rome because he kept talking about Jesus, and so they imprisoned him. Now, I've never been to the site where Paul was imprisoned, and nor is it on my bucket list of places to visit on vacation. But from what I've read, Paul's jail cell is basically a hole in the ground. And in this hole in the ground, it's basically a cell that is stacked on top of another cell, okay? And the lower cell is called the Tullianum. Okay, and this was located within a sewer system below the city. And the only way you can get there was to be, to be lowered down through a hole in the floor. An ancient Roman historian wrote that it's neglected, dark, and the stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. In other words, it's a gross place to be. Well, it seems like this is the place where Paul finds himself uh, he is somewhere down near the very lowest part of this prison hole, and it's dark, it's gloomy, it's cold, his body is beaten, he has been shipwrecked, uh, he has been homeless, left for dead. If you know anything about the story of Paul's life, you'll know that it's just a miracle that he's alive. You know, in uh, even one of, on one occasion where people, because he was preaching the gospel, they beat him, and so they took him to the city end of the city gates, and, to, and they just basically left him there for dead. And miraculously, God brought him back to life, and he went back in, and he started preaching the gospel again. That's Paul, right? So imagine this man. He is prostrating himself before God. His knees are bent, head bowed to the ground, as one bringing a matter of 
something of great importance to the Most High. And we know that this posture is unusual because back in those days, when you prayed, you were praying standing up. So we know that Paul is in this humble posture and he's praying for the church. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to uh, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a prayer of the Apostle Paul in verses 14 through 19. As you know, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians for the past few weeks now. Roughly half the book is prayers, uh, different types of prayers. There are prayer reports, prayer uh, exhortations, there are prayer requests. And today's passage is a prayer report where Paul will tell the Ephesians what he is praying for them. Now before we dive into the passage, I want to tell you what four things I want us to look at in this passage. You'll see them in verse 16 and verse 17 the second part of verse 17 to the beginning of verse 19, and then the latter part of verse 19. It says first, God's strengthening spirit. Second, prayer for the indwelling of Christ in you. Third point is, for your grounding in Christ's love. And finally, for your maturing in God. Paul prays these things, and we could probably say more about what he prays for, but not less than these four. And so once again, he prays for these things for you to be, in verse 16, strengthened by the Spirit, indwelt by by Christ, grounded in Christ's love, and matured in God. Let's keep these four things in mind. I want to express to you my prayer and hope for you as a congregation is through the prayer of Paul. I want these four things for you because this is what God wants for you. Notice that Paul writes, that you would be granted in verse 16. And then look at verse 18, with all the saints. So the things that Apostle Paul prays for, he wants the Ephesian church to enjoy with all the saints. So Paul is not praying that only the Ephesian Christians would enjoy this. Paul is praying for all Christians, for you all to enjoy these things. So as I said at the beginning, those who love the church will pray for the church. You pray about what you care about. What, what you pray about shows and reveals what you care about. You know, you show me uh, a Christian father and a mother with a gravely sick child, I'll show you a man and a woman who is praying. Why? Because they love their child, right? You pray about what you care about. So when you see the prayers of Apostle Paul right here, you are seeing on display what Paul cares about most. You are seeing what he wants most. And you're also seeing what God wants. Why? Because this prayer is not just any prayer. This is a prayer that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the inspired word of God. And therefore, it reflects the heart of God to his people. It's not just what Paul wants for all Christians. This is what God wants for all Christians, and this is what he wants for you. Now, before we get into these petitions, don't miss these two things by way of introduction. Notice whom Paul prays to. It's really interesting that Paul will follow and begin this prayer exactly the way Jesus taught his disciples, right? The disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, Lord, teach us, to pray. We have never seen anyone pray like you do. Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus tells them, when you pray, 
say, Our Father who art in heaven. We see the Apostle Paul follow Jesus' Jesus' example by praying to the Father. He says, I bow my knees to the Father. But notice also that this prayer is Trinitarian. Turn with me to verse 14. I bow my knees to the Father. Verse 16, that through His Spirit, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 19, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. We see Father, Spirit, Son, God. There we see the Trinitarian shape in Paul's prayer. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity is not some abstract, speculative truth that we leave for the professionals and the theologians at Gordon-Conwell. No, this is indispensable to our faith. In fact, uh, one of our professors said it like this. You could sum up the Christian life like this. We come to the Father through the Son by the help of the Holy Spirit. There you have it, Christianity. You, we come to the Father through the Son by the help of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity is, is a part of the very fabric of Christian life, and we see it here expressed in Apostle Paul's prayer. So let's actually get at what Paul wants for you. First thing that he wants for you is to be strengthened with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a second. You might be thinking, I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus. I rest in him for salvation, and as he is offered in the gospel, don't I already have the Holy Spirit? But Paul prays in verse 16 that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why does Paul want me to be strengthened through the Holy Spirit in my inner being? Is, am I going to face something where I need strength? Am I going to face some hardship? Is there, am I going to face persecution? What's going on? And of course, it's possible that Paul might be praying that kind of strengthening for the New Testament Christians because they're in hostile territory. But in this prayer, that's not why he's praying for this type of strengthening. You need to be asking yourself, why is Paul wanting me to be strengthened with the power that comes from the Holy Spirit? You know, when I was reading this, the first thing that came to mind was, when I think of the word strengthening, was the story of Samson, right? You go to the very end of his life, and you see in verse, I mean, chapter 16 in the book of Judges, he prays what? Samson's last prayer is, Lord, give me strength this one last time, right? You see, Samson was a judge of Israel, but he fell astray, and he was captured, and he was taken to the enemy's hands. And we see that when he was captured, he was chained and held to ridicule in the temple of God's enemies. So as he is blinded, can't see, but he is chained there, he finds a servant. He asks him to place his hands on the pillars, and he prays that one last prayer again. God, would you give me strength this one last time? Pushes the pillars, the entire structure falls down. Why did Samson want to be strengthened? He wanted to be strengthened so that his very last act as a judge of Israel would be that he could bring down judgment on the enemies of God. So that's why he wanted to be strengthened. And it doesn't appear that Paul is referring to this type of strengthening because this type of strengthening is on the outer being, right? Paul is referring to the inner being, so that can't be it. So we still have this question, why does Paul want me to be strengthened in the, in the inner being? 
Well, one thing that we could pull out from here is that Paul knows that you need power in the Christian life. Now, this power is, does not come from within you. This power needs to be within you, but it doesn't come from within you. It comes from outside of you by the Holy Spirit, putting His power in you. So I want you to hold on to that question for now. Why does He want me to have this power? And this is His first prayer for you. Second, we look at verse 17. And now we begin to see the why to this power. There's a so that, and this connects to the preceding verse right here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He wants you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit and the inner being, so what? So that Christ can dwell in your hearts by faith. You might be thinking, wait a second, didn't he come into my heart when I accept, accepted him as Lord and Savior? Isn't Jesus in my heart if I'm a believer? Yes, but Paul is getting at something very different. You know, if we look to the Puritans, they say that this prayer is actually a prayer for the Holy Spirit to make our hearts a suitable habitation for God. Christ, right? The Puritans are saying that the Holy Spirit is making our hearts a suitable habitation for Christ. And the point is this, Paul Paul wants our hearts. When Paul uses the language of hearts, he is not using the language of emotion, he is using the language of desire. He knows that the Christian life is fought at the level of the heart. Christian life is won and lost at the level of our desires that your desires, if you have desires greater for things over God, if you desire for more things over Christ, then you are prone and you will fall to sin every time. What you need in your heart is to fight sin. What you need is a greater affection for Christ. In other words, Paul wants you deep down in your innermost being to love what Jesus loves and to hate what Jesus hates. He wants your desires, your affections to be formed by the indwelling of Christ in your hearts. And this could only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own because if we do it, we will always choose the wrong things. So Paul is speaking to us very practically here. He knows that the Christian life is fought at the level of our desires. And so he is praying that the Spirit would would do a work in our hearts so that your affections are fixed on the things that ought to be fixed on. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the second verse of verse 17 to the beginning of verse 19. Not only does he pray to be strengthened with the power of the Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, he also prays that you would be grounded in Christ's love. He wants you to have the strength to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of love. And even more dramatically, in verse 19, he wants you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, let's hear that again. Paul prays for you to know a love that goes beyond knowledge. Right? You see, like Paul talked about knowing a peace that goes beyond all understanding in a different letter. But here, he wants us to know a love that surpasses all knowledge. This is the language of experience. He is saying, how can you know something that passes all knowing? What Paul means is that he wants you to be so certain down to the very bones of your body, he wants you to be absolutely certain of the love of Christ for you. 
You know, when we were little children, if you were brought up in the church, we would sing this song, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Paul is praying that same prayer. And he's praying that Christians would really know that Jesus loves them. Why? Because sometimes, even as Christians, it's hard to really know if Jesus loves us, to really understand it, and to especially experience it. You know, this past month, I had the privilege to officiate at my first uh, wedding, and it was for a friend of mine. And as the officiant, I get to do premarital counseling with a couple. And it's a privilege because these people are opening up their lives and their hearts to you. And I would ask a variety of personal questions. And I just remember thinking to myself after one session, you know, one day when God blesses our family with children, you know, they're going to grow up. They'll be baptized in the church. They'll grow up. They'll fall in love. They'll meet someone. And they'll decide to get married. And they'll end up sitting in front of a pastor answering these very questions. And one of these questions was, are you sure that he or she loves you? Now, if the bride-to-be could say with confidence, yes, I know he loves me, we would know two things off the bat, right? We would know that her father and mother did a good job, right? We would know that they did a good job in raising her so that she knew what it felt like to be loved in a godly way by man. And that, that was the very thing that was enabling her to receive that kind of godly love from her fiancé. Her father had treated her with respect, with love, and cherished her so that when she met this person and he loved her, she knew right away what kind of love that was. Secondly, you would know that the groom must be doing a good job because all of us have, we have different ways of giving and receiving love and he must have learned the ways to convey his love for her. But you could also imagine that between this couple who are engaged and set to be married, that if the response was, <clears throat> I don't really know. I don't really know if he or she loves me, but I'm really struggling to feel it. That would tell me that somewhere in this family background, there was perhaps a father or mother that did not love this child well that there was probably a family situation that had left this individual feeling insecure and made it hard for them to receive love from their significant other. In the same way, in the Christian life, if you don't know that Christ loves you, if you're not engulfed with the knowledge that Jesus loves you, you're fighting this Christian fight with one hand behind your back. The Apostle Paul is very serious that all the saints are certain about this very thing, that Christ loves us. And Paul has a great reason why all of this is important. He gets to it in verse 19. He prays that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, Paul uses this exact same language in chapter 1. The language of fullness refers to uh, maturity, to completeness. And so we see what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is that... <clears throat> that you will be strengthened with power in your inner being by the work of the Holy Spirit so that Christ is dwelling in your hearts by faith so that you would be grounded and rooted in the love of God so that you will be matured into the image of your heavenly Father. This is a part of the work of God and salvation. 
you'll remember with me in the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan tempted Eve and Adam. <clears throat> he said, look, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat from the forbidden fruit is because once you eat of it, you'll become like him. You know, that's what he's withholding from you. Now, how should Eve and Adam have responded to the serpent? We already are like him, right? They should have pointed at Genesis 1. They should have been like, we were created in the image and likeness of God, male and female created in the image of God. What do you mean if we rebel against him, we'll become like him? We already are like him. But they rebelled, they ate the forbidden fruit, and did they become like God? No, they became less like God. But they didn't lose that image that they had when they were created in the image of God. But it was marred and it was blemished. In salvation, see, God not only forgives your sins, but he begins to restore that image in us so that we become more like him. The Apostle Paul is praying that you would be strengthened with power in your inmost being by the work of the Holy Spirit so that Christ is dwelling in your heart by faith so that Christ's love, that you will be rooted in Christ's love so that you'll be matured into the image of the Father. You know, I want to end with this. D.A. Carson's book, Praying with Paul, he does a great exposition on this passage and he has a story of Perry and Sandy Downs. See, Perry and Sandy were foster parents, and uh, that meant that they would take in newborn babies or infants for days at a time or for weeks at a time. Uh, on one occasion, they got a call from a social worker saying, all right, we got a different circumstance. I have twin boys, but they're not infants. They're 18 months old. Would you be willing to take them in, not for days or weeks, but for months? Perry and Sandy said, sure. So they bring the children to their home, and Perry and Sandy, they take the children into their cribs, right, and they put them to bed, and they walk back down the hallway into the living room, and they sit there, and they notice something strange. They hear a strange noise, and it's absolutely silent. Now think about it. Two infants, right, well, 18 months, right, new house, new place, completely silent. Something is off. And so they quietly go back into that room and they find these children with a pillow over their face crying uncontrollably. You see, the social worker told the parents, you know, these boys had been in nine different homes in the first 17 months of their life. And in most of these homes, they had been abused. In fact, the social worker said, I'm not sure if they will ever cognitively or emotionally be normal ever again because of what they've been through. Those boys were in Perry and Sandy's care, not for a few weeks or months, but for two years until they were placed in adoption. And when the social worker did that post-testing thing that she does on those boys when they left their home, she said to them, something amazing has happened. She got back to them and said, something amazing has happened to these boys. They are cognitively, intellectually, and emotionally normal. You see, what had happened to them is they had experienced love from their parents God intends for children to receive by their parents. They have received the love 
that God has intended for them to receive by their parents. And it literally matured them. This is exactly like the love of Christ in the, in the life of Christians. It matures us. It makes us grow into the image of God. You know, we asked this question many times early on. Do you see now why Paul wants you to be strengthened with the power by the Spirit in your inner being? You know, you may have experienced things in your past that keep you, that make it difficult for you to understand the love of God for you. He wants you to have the power that comes only from the Holy Spirit so that your hearts are shaped by Jesus so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves you and that he is maturing you. He has not left you, that he loves you and that you are created in this image and you are maturing day by day. That's what Paul wants for you. That's what God wants for you. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we, we come before you in humility knowing that Lord, you loved us first. You loved us when we were uh, unlovable. God, we, it's hard sometimes uh, to know that you love us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work of removing these obstacles. Lord, there's a reason why you wanted us to know that you love us beyond a shadow of a doubt. May we trust in your promises. Will you press these truths into our hearts this morning? And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.